1: SomersetSportsPerformance.com Thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a couple episodes since I've had a guest on the show and today I'm going to have one back on and we're going to answer some listener questions together and we're going to go ahead and get right into it. So sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest today on the Essential Tennis Podcast is Will Hamilton from FuzzyYellowBalls.com. FuzzyYellowBalls.com specializes in video tennis instruction, and they've been a a great resource for amateur tennis players everywhere in in trying to improve their game. So Will, you're a great fit on the show here, and we've, we've had you on the show before. I can't remember what the topics were the last time I had you on, but it was definitely a great show, so I'm really happy to have you back. Welcome to the show.
0: Well, hey, Ian, thanks for having me back. Um, I think we were talking about how to play a lefty, which is obviously
1: right right up uh,
0: our alley since we're both uh, lefties.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that show. That was quite a while ago, and I apologize. It's been so long since I've had you on last, but I'm sure we'll make up for it with some amazing content here, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm sure it's amazing.
1: (laughs) All right, so let's go ahead and uh, answer some questions here. and We've got two questions that Will and I are going to talk about today. Having to do with tennis, and at the end of today's show, we're also going to be giving you guys a, a brief look into the new content that Will has been putting out on FuzzyYellowballs.com. But first, let's get down to some questions. And our first one here comes from the poster, the Pronator, on the forums at EssentialTennis.com. And here's his question: He wrote and said. I imagine there's many listeners of the ET podcasts who coach in some way or another. My question is this, how do you keep passionate and fresh about your game when you spend hours on the court each day? I used to, I used to coach five days a week and found that come weekend, weekend com- competitive time, I just didn't feel like being on the court anymore. I wanted to spend my weekend as far away from work as possible when I realized I was no longer enjoying the sport I would loved for, for so long. I retired from coaching. Obviously, others still maintain the passion for playing at the same time as coaching. How do you do this? Are there any mental techniques or strategies? So, Will, what's your, uh, what's your first reaction to the pronator's questions there?
0: Well, my first reaction is that this sounds like a pretty common question um, because coaching can, if you're standing on the court for eight hours a day, uh, get... Uh, it, it can just be difficult when you're when you're outside in the sun and you're on your feet, but you're not really moving around. I mean, standing on the court feeding and playing are kind of two different animals. Uh, and there were a lot of times when I would play a lot when I was actually in competition, and I would feel fine walking off the court. But then you stand there and you're you're feeding and not really moving. And I've I've never been stiffer. I don't know if you have the same problem, but. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it's, the,
1: I, I, I think that's probably the the number one misconception actually. Will of of amateur players who uh, who know a tennis pro or who who work with tennis work with a tennis pro. I've had the the comments or questions so many times from somebody saying to me, "Wow, man, your your game must be awesome right now. You get to play all day long. It's great." And no, it's it's actually <laughs> it's actually the opposite. Teaching is so terrible for a competitive game if if you're teaching tennis full-time because it's basically like you said there's a there is a lot of standing around yeah you do get a good amount of exercise but even then a good a good tennis pro is able to to tone back his level or her level to match appropriately with whoever they happen to be teaching so uh, it's not the same thing as playing it's just kind of a mental and physical drain a lot of times.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely been situations where, uh, like you said, you spend a couple weeks coaching, you don't really play competitively, and then you try to play a match and you can't keep the ball on the court. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it takes a little while to get your timing back. Uh, but to go back to the pronator's question, you know, I don't really know if there's a, a silver bullet. One thing um, that I've always remembered from a talk that Wayne Bryan gave was. When he was bringing up Mike and Bob, he was very, very focused on once they were off the court they were Mike and Bob were off the court they were off the court, and they weren't going to talk about tennis they weren't going to focus on the sport they were going to do something completely different and Mike and Bob ended up getting really into music, and that was sort of their one of their outlets and they I guess they'd just released an album, but it's 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 pretty important in my view to have something else, something something else that you're passionate about. Because if you can completely disengage from tennis and and spend some time on a hobby or some other interest, then once you you know what is it? Uh, uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Is that the expression? Yeah. Um, Absence, I believe. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 essentially you just need to be doing something else so that you're when you come back to the sport. You're fresh, and that certainly doesn't apply to tennis. I think that applies to pretty much any profession, any other sport, uh, where if you spend eight hours a day uh, on it, you need to be doing something else. I mean, Andy Murray, uh, I guess, plays what seven hours of PlayStation to take his mind off (laughs) Um, tennis. Probably to his detriment, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. Well, it's it's important to have. Other things in your life, if you're going to be not only a coach but want to play competitively as well, there there ha- you gotta kind of pull the plug out once in a while and and relax. And I'm not I ha- historically I haven't been terribly good at this. I you know I come home after teaching all day and, and work on the website, and um, I'm I'm lucky that I haven't gotten burned out yet. But I'm I'm very careful to. Listen to myself to my body and to my my brain because I can definitely get overworked and I start getting to the point where I just you know I, I just need downtime and I've, I've got to just stop and not think about it anymore so uh, pronator, you need to come up with some kind of hobby or something else to do where you're not thinking about it, and even back when I was playing in college, myself and my other buddies on the team. My man, we had so many other activities and different sports we would play. We would go play basketball. We would play ultimate Frisbee. We played a lot of ping pong. Uh, and these days I'm playing paddle tennis, platform tennis. I, I play golf. And these are just all ways and other athletic things that are still fun and still competitive, just like tennis is, but ways that you can get your, your mind off it. And even those of you who are listening – who are not teachers or pros or coaches, those of you who just have a passion for the game and play a lot, I recommend this for you guys as well if if you 're practicing your tennis for more than six or eight hours in a week, which I know a lot of people listening are it's it 's important to go and, and take a break sometimes and and take a week off and just rest and and do some other some other stuff and I like the uh the the phrase that you used well the absence makes the heart grow fonder and that, that's absolutely mm-hmm. correct i recently took a week off from work over thanksgiving and i i didn't miss i didn't miss work very much at all i'll be honest it, it was great to get away and just relax but when i came back and i stepped on the court for my first lesson at six thirty in the morning i i was just i couldn't help but think to myself man this is awesome I'm i'm so lucky that i'm i'm able to do this and those of you who even who don't coach and teach, you can get that kind of a feeling as well if, if you just take a break once in a while.
0: Ian, let me ask you this. Um, with the website, uh, and we'll see if we have the same experience. Uh, when Obviously, the website focuses on tennis, but do you find that that is sufficiently different enough where you still stay engaged even if you, you get off the court after teaching 8, 10 hours and then you spend a couple hours on the website? Does that seem different in a way to you?
1: Yeah, good question, and obviously it's within the same realm of work, I guess you could say, quote, unquote, and that is Mm -hmm. instructing tennis or teaching tennis, but um, yeah, that's that's funny that you, now that you bring that up and I think about it, yeah, it's it's a very different feeling thing. Uh, The work that I do on the website, it's for, it's kind of hard to explain without, uh, trying to trying to offend somebody <laughs> but the uh, the work that I do on the website is for people who really have a strong passion for the game, and so it 's kind of a different clientele the The people that I work for at my job it 's more of a social atmosphere and and so it's it 's a very different kind of teaching um, there 's a lot of different layers to what I do at the club where I work. And the the work that I do on the website is very much cut and dry. I tell people how it is <laughs> the first time. I don't worry about you know offending people or mm-hmm. the politics mm-hmm. or anything. And and so it's it's it is very different. Do you Does that think answer your so- question?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say I, I feel like the web angle is also just I don't know if interdisciplinary is the right word. I, I think it's I think it's a good one because it's yeah. just. The, the web is kind of it's entirely you know an entirely different angle than 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 coaching in person. You have video, you have audio, like this podcast. You yeah. have all the the coding HTML that like goes in behind uh, you know any website you're putting together. So I just I just feel like it's very separate from my my experience at least when I'm when I'm working on the website, it doesn't feel like uh, to a degree that I'm I'm coaching or that I'm that I'm working on tennis. Yeah, Maybe, that's you know, a I don't that's know a good point separate, too. Right?
1: Yeah, uh, the work I do on my, on my site is its a combination of hobbies that I've had in the past, actually. So that, that's mm-hmm. another good point. Um, back when I was in high school and in college, I, I worked as a sound technician for for a while, uh, for, for many years, actually, um, both in churches and, and uh, auditoriums in college. And so doing this podcast is something that I actually enjoy doing a lot, just from a technical side of things and an audio side of things. Um, and video has been something I've really enjoyed as well, um, and I'm finally doing some video stuff. So, And I, I bet that's probably true for you as well in the video that you do. I mean, it's it's fun to play with the technology, and although I know that Adam, who's your, your sidekick, really does a lot of the technological stuff, but it's fun getting in there and actually creating stuff, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, Adam will figure out how to do it, and he'll teach me what to do.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So that's that's the basic uh development developmental process on on a or and <laughs> that's um, a good deal you got there. Uh, it's, it's a great deal, you know, uh <laughs> I can't complain. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I you know, I wouldn't know what a chroma key is or how to do it or how to light yourself uh if it wasn't for trying to put together all this all this web video. So um yeah, I mean I, I again to go back to Prona, I think just keeping, you know, keeping things interesting and new uh regardless of whether you're focused you're, you're you're staying you're still focused on tennis or you're doing something that's more of a hobby i mean i think that is an extremely important aspect to staying passionate if if you kind of get in a rut and things become monotonous you're going to lose focus and you're going to lose passion but if you're always if you always feel like you're moving forward and and again doing something new doing something interesting then i think passion shouldn't be and motivation won't be too much of a problem
1: all right i think that sums it up pretty well and Peronator, hopefully that answers your question and hopefully that's going to be a, an interesting discussion for for people listening not only people who coach and teach but just really people who are passionate about their games who who are just players as well and the interesting thing i think and Will, you pointed this out when we first started, is this can apply to really anybody in any profession. Mm-hmm. It's, it's important to get away and, and, and relax and, and think about other stuff for a while. You don't want to get burned out. All right, let's go on to our next question, and it comes to us from Dan in Seattle, Washington. He's a 3.0-level player. Dan wrote and said, I didn't grow up playing, and I feel like I'm analytically challenged to understand what is happening to whom and when I play. I'm sorry, what is happening to whom when I play? I come off the courts and can't always explain why the winner prevailed and what weaknesses were exploited. After my last doubles match, my opponents commented that my partner won every point he served in the 10-point tie break, and I was shocked at his acuity and envious of his observational power. I like that phrase, observational power. <laughs> I hadn't known the fact, of course... Is there a way to better develop my ability to analyze the results on the fly? The, uh, would charting or keeping stats on another player help develop this? I feel like if I had that skill, I could adjust faster when my opponent is beating me with a common or reoccurring weapon. Thanks and all the best, Dan. So what do you think, Will?
0: Well, my first uh, impression would be that, you know, on, on FYB, we focus on the very first thing we do is talk about the fundamentals to the point where we're probably a broken record to a lot of people, (laughs) whether it be forehand fundamentals, backhand fundamentals, surf fundamentals. There's also fundamentals to strategy. And my, uh, my first piece of advice would be, do you understand the basic strategy involved in a tennis match? The dimensions of a tennis court, how that applies to your shot selection, where you should be positioned based on where your opponent's hitting the ball, what is a high percentage shot based on the ball you hit them and so on and if you understand just basically and and fundamentally where these high percentage shots are, where these low percentage shots are, then that will give you a sound strategy, you know, a strategy that not only applies at the at the 30 level but also the professional level. I mean, there's a reason that every single pro point for the most part is constructed around a cross court rally, at least a neutral rally. And then some other stuff goes on where one player is jockeying for position or tries to take control of the point. But, um, you know, there's, there's first of all, the fundamentals of strategy that, that you would need to master. And then once you have that in your back pocket, then I would move on to analyzing, uh, analyzing my opponent.
1: So, and first of all, let me say, yeah, I agree with you, Will. And uh, I've been accused many times of of repeating myself <laughs> too often, uh, both on the podcast and in my teaching in person. And th- the fundamentals or the essentials, if you will, exactly. I think yeah, are, <laughs> yeah, uh, are um are what most players need to focus on if they want to improve their game. And most players out there listening are around a three point five level or so. And the way you guys are going to advance, and, and Dan here who asked the question is a, is a 3.0 level player, Dan, the way you're going to advance are by paying attention to the, the fundamental things. And so I certainly agree with that, Will. Now, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What are, what's an example of one or maybe two things that you would say are, are part of that? What's a, what would be a fundamental tactical thing that Dan and other players listening have to understand and have to learn?
0: Well, I mean, the first would be, you know, like I was saying with, with the cross-court uh, rally being the foundation of any winning tennis strategy, um, that's just because you put the ball cross-court, the court is longer in that direction, you have a bigger target to hit to, the net is lower in the middle of the court. And the the other one, this, the, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of directionals, um, the type of ball, based on how the ball is coming at you, that's going to make certain shots easier than others. And Ian, you obviously know the concept of inside versus outside ground strokes. And it's, it's similar to how if, if, you're, if you're playing baseball, if the pitcher throws you a ball, you're batting, and the ball is moving towards you, it's essentially moving into you,
1: um,
0: then those balls are going to be easier to control. Those are called inside ground strokes. And you can do more with that in terms of where you want to place that ball. But if the ball is moving away from you, and essentially that means, uh, let me think of how I want to describe this. If if it basically think of if you're in a cross court rally and your opponent hits you, the ball back cross court, it's going to move across the plane of your body, and then it would get further away from you if you didn't hit. I hope that makes sense. Uh, yeah, right. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard for me to, or it's easier for me to describe it visually. But uh, in any event those balls are harder to get leverage over, harder to control. It's easier to make errors trying to change direction on those balls. So if you get an outside ground stroke, essentially you want to just go back cross-court with that ball. So essentially what this all this talk boils down to is if you're in a cross-court rally, hit the ball back cross-court unless you have a good reason to change direction of the ball. And a good reason is typically just a weak shot that you can... That's, that's easier to hit, basically. That's short, that sits up, that you have some time to prepare for. That would be the, the number one thing, um, I think, is is people, they step on the court and they're like, okay, well, my opponent is in this position, I'm just going to hit the ball away from them. That, right. That's actually a recipe for errors. Trying to run your opponent, trying to hit away from them is is an extremely common tactic and a huge mistake for the most part. I mean, if you watch... and. If you watch pro tennis, a lot of the times those guys will just go cross-court for a couple shots, even though it's essentially right back to their opponent. And the reason is because they're hitting outside ground strokes and changing direction is probably going to lead to a mistake or a ball that their opponent can exploit.
1: Yeah, the directionals are, are definitely a very, very important thing to understand when when putting together single strategy. It's a little bit different in doubles. It's not quite as cut and dry as it is in singles when, when, uh, having a rally back and forth from the baseline. Um, but the directionals are something that I really believe in strongly. So it's, it's definitely good stuff. And, uh, Dan, I'm going to give you a a couple other things here, a little bit different thread than, than what Will's talking about. Um, I think that the most important things for you to pay attention to Dan are, I've got three things here. Um, you need to know, and, and you should know this before the warm-ups are done, the strengths and the weaknesses of both of your opponents if you're playing doubles and singles is a little bit easier because you've only got one person that you've got to pay attention to. But you, you've got to know what your opponents or opponents like and what they're good at and what they don't like and what they're, what they're bad at. And at a 3.0 level... Honestly, this should be pretty easy to pick out. If you watch many tennis players, if you've been watching tennis for very long at all, it becomes pretty obvious what people are trying to avoid. And so, this is extremely important information because you can effectively build a strategy around information like this. You can avoid what they like and make them hit what they don't like. And and this is a good place to start, along with knowing different patterns and uh, the percentages, like what Will is talking about, cross court most of the time is going to be the way to go uh, on your return of serve and doubles. And that's because the, the net's lower, the court is longer, and that's, that's the way you should be going most of the time. And then beyond that, you, you want to get into the point and figure out how you can make your opponents as uncomfort- uncomfortable as possible. And that's basically what good strategy comes down to. Uh, anything to add to that, Will?
0: Yeah, I think um, the strengths and weaknesses is definitely an important thing to to understand. And I think equally as important is when you lose typically, or I, I should say taking a step back, most people don't realize what their opponent is doing to neutralize them. And most people step on the court and they say, okay, well, my forehand's my best shot, so I'm going to hit a lot of forehands because that's how mm-hmm. I win a match. Well, that probably works most of the time, but against a particular opponent, that might not work as well. The opponent might have a shot that, you know, their cross-court forehand to your forehand for whatever reason, is out of your strike zone, and your kind of go-to is not as effective as it normally is. So understanding what your opponent does to diminish your strength or to neutralize you, is valuable because then you say, okay, well, I need to make some sort of adjustment. What am I going to do to put myself in a better winning position? So like you were saying, absolutely you need to know what your opponent is good at and bad at, but you also need to know what they do to you so that you can work around whatever you know they may be doing to neutralize your best shots.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a big mistake that tennis players make is that they get so caught up with themselves, and they they're just thinking about their own technique, uh, what feels good, what feels bad that day. Uh, you know what I think players get caught up with themselves, and they they don't pay very close attention to what's going on on the other side of the court, and that includes both the strengths and weaknesses that I was talking about, and now what you're talking about as well, Will, is is paying attention to specific things that your opponent is doing to uh, as you said well try to neutralize your your shots and if your opponent's any good they're going to be doing what we're what Will and I are talking about they're going to be putting together a game plan and if you guys are are totally caught up in what's happening on your own side of the court you're going to completely miss what's happening with your opponents and you're not going to be able to make those adjustments that Dan was talking about and a good strategist is able to constantly evaluate what's going on what their opponent is doing and this has it does have something to do with with your own game guys don't get me wrong I mean you need to walk onto the court with a good understanding of what you're bringing to the table but uh, really it's more important to know what your opponent is doing so that you can then use your strengths and your skills and use them accordingly so Dan you have gotta learn how to pay attention watch what's happening on the other side of the court, and then be able to make adjustments accordingly and to to answer one of your questions directly, Dan, no, I don't think you need to go out and start charting matches. Um, I don't know, maybe yeah, that I can don't help think, you out. Uh,
0: yeah, I wouldn't chart either.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, there's a difference between paying attention and becoming a, a, a statistician and, uh, and keeping track of stats. And you, you don't need to know percentages when you're walking off the court. And you, you don't need to know that you won four out of nine points that you came to the net or or whatever Um, it doesn't have to be specific there just needs to be a general paying attention and understanding of what's going on Um, so don't go out and chart just get on the court play more matches get some more experience and open your eyes up to what's going on on the other side of the court
0: yeah i'd say the the one the one statistic that uh, i i think would be fine to, to keep track of and actually probably should keep track of is unforced errors uh, just make a note of how many unforced errors you make each set. Yeah. That's because big that that is the number one leak, so to speak, in, in people's games. They lose most points by making mistakes. And if you just eliminate and can cut if you're if you're cognizant of I mean, Ian, how many unforced errors did you make the last time you played a match? I mean, zero. I, you know, we don't, we, yeah, you're zero, <laughs> is that <what> you're <laughs>
1: nice. just kidding.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't, I, I probably should the next time, uh, I, I play a match. I'm aware <laughs> I, I'm making too many errors, but if you actually are cognizant, okay, I made 11 errors, this set, then you can work to reduce that. And yeah, at, at, at a level, you know, up to four or five, most people don't have a big enough game to hit winners consistently or hit good enough shots where you're always on the run and you're always pressured. So by simply eliminating errors from your game, there's only really one way your opponent can win points. And that's by hitting a winner or forcing yeah. you, or hitting, you know, forcing you into an error. And that's why pushers win so many matches at three, five, three Oh level. They just eliminate the major leak in most, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, a, in that level, uh, at the 3-0 level is, is unforced errors. So don't don't make errors. And, I mean, that sounds so simplistic, um, but it's amazing how effective it is.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Uh, and other sort of tangential point is I would not focus on your technique when you're playing a match. That's another thing a lot of people do. And um, it takes your focus off your opponent, yourself, in terms of what your strategy should be. And if you're thinking about your technique, then you're probably going to start making mistakes. At least that's happened. I don't know. That's my experience. I don't know if it's happened with you as well. Yeah.
1: No, I completely agree. Well, and this is a big mistake people make in golf as well, as they get out on the course and start trying to fix their their swing. Uh, and it's not the and right thing what to be focusing is for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, listen, guys, t- take the focus off of yourself, whether it be your technique, um, your strengths and weaknesses, whatever. You you know what, you, what what you're bringing to the table, and you don't have the time to sit there and try to analyze your, your technique and, and how you're swinging at the ball. It's too late for that. You, you, you're going to have whatever you have grooved, whatever you have hit enough to be a habit and to be second nature. That's what you're going to have that day uh, to play with. And you're not going to learn anything or improve anything on the fly uh, while you're playing a match. So I, I think the big here thing, Dan, is you need to focus on your opponents, pay close attention and And know the percentages like will was talking about, know the patterns of play and and what's a smart shot to go for, and what's not and and you can start winning more points and more matches by by paying close attention to these things
0: yeah i'd I'd also add real quick that um this is somewhat of a tangent as well that people always i I'm not sure how many questions you get about the mental game and how do I prevent myself from choking or how do I stay positive but yeah if you focusing on technique is a perfect way to come apart mentally because you start <laughs> missing a couple shots and then you get frustrated and the way you prevent yourself from getting frustrated or being confused or feeling helpless is you understand basic strategy and you are always thinking about what your opponent is doing, what you are doing and you're trying, it's, it becomes kind of a, a problem solving situation. You have a basic framework for a plan you're trying to implement it and you're making adjustments along the way and if you have some sort of roadmap or blueprint then you're not going to be out, you're not going to feel like you're out in the wilderness and you're you're not going to feel like what what do I do here, this is helpless, I'm helpless, this is hopeless and that's the main way uh, people start coming apart.
1: I agree. Good stuff, Will and Dan, hopefully that answers your question. If you have anything further Feel free to send me another email, or you can post on the forums at essentialtennis.com. And Will, thanks very much for for helping me answer these questions today. And before we wrap things up, I I want to talk to Will a little bit about the new section of his website, and that is FYB Premium. Will tell us a little bit about it.
0: Well, it's essentially a very focused way of learning tennis. What we had on our normal website, fyb.com, and this is sort of something that I see a lot over internet instruction is it's somewhat unfocused. People ask questions kind of in a bubble. What do I do to fix my kick for example? And what we wanted to do is kind of take a more logical approach to teaching the game, almost like a college course where concepts start building on top of each other so that you would know, you know, to go back to this kind of blueprint, this map, it it builds your game up um, in a logical fashion, and not just technique, but also strategy. And as you move through, you obviously get more advanced, but you're never learning something that you're not capable of implementing because the stuff that came before it serves as the foundation for the later concepts.
1: Nice. So it sounds like you've kind of put together a... I guess a learning system or a uh, a roadmap to uh, to success for for the tennis game in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, to go back to what we were discussing discussing earlier, you were talking about analyzing your opponent's strengths and weaknesses, and that's something we act we address in a section called. Uh, and a, we we divide our our uh, divide FYB premium into blocks essentially, which are kind of like chapters in a book. And block six we call SWAT, which stands for Strengths Weaknesses opportunities and threats so the you know the sw is strengths and weaknesses and in learning how to evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent you first need to have uh, at least from our perspective an understanding of basic strategy and that goes back to those inside and outside ground strokes core positioning what's high percentage what's low percentage and once you understand that stuff that serves as the foundation for learning how to evaluate your opponents so that you can exploit your opponent's weaknesses in a fundamentally sound manner. So you're not, for example, if, if you knew your opponent had a bad backhand and a good forehand, you would think, okay, well, I'm going to hit everything to their backhand. And that is generally true. But if you're in a forehand to forehand cross court rally and you're like, oh, you say to yourself, okay, well now I'm going to go to their, their backhand, you might be hitting a low percentage shot down the line. And that would be a mistake because you'll probably make a mistake. You'll probably make an error, even though you're going at their their weaker shot, and it you would presume it's not so weak that if you hit a bad ball, they wouldn't be able to do something with it.
1: Good stuff. Well, I, I strongly suggest that my listeners go check it out. And real quickly before we wrap things up, well, I know that you have a special offer going as well for an instructional series. And uh, can you tell us about that? It has has to do all about the forehand, correct?
0: Yeah, it's just a it's just a free email course uh, that we put together because we had last year we went to Indian Wells and we filmed Federer and all those folks and got some really cool footage and hadn't really used it um, like we we wanted to, so we kind of went back and looked at our forehand fundamentals videos that we put together about a year ago and we updated some concepts and we, we basically took, I'd say 10 pro. I mean, we have obviously Federer, Nadal, Roddick, Verdasco, Ivanovic. I mean, a bunch of the men and women. And we, on our, on our website, we talk about the five fundamentals of the forehand. So we go through all their shots and, and show you that each of these pros is doing those five things that we're talking about. And then we compare their strokes the pros to some amateur players that we filmed to demonstrate that like we've been talking about this whole time it's the fundamentals that virtually everybody needs to focus on and it's not smaller stuff like do i pronate as i hit my forehand or what's the angle of my wrist i mean that stuff is wildly secondary to these these five things and and our goal with the course is to prove that
1: good stuff well i've and as as will and i've been talking here my web guys got the the link up if you guys go to essentialtennis.com and click on just about any page on the website the uh the videos the podcast pages all five of the the written blogs you guys will see over on the right hand side a little ad there for the forehands um the the forehand videos and just click on that and you guys will be taken to a page where you guys can sign up and it's totally free and I suggest that you guys do that and, and take advantage of it. It's really good content and, and good instructions, so definitely check it out. Will, anything else before we wrap things up here today?
0: Um, Off the top of my head, uh, not really. Uh, as far as I, I mean, thanks again for having me on. I, you know, uh, don't focus on your technique when you're playing a match. I <laughs> okay. mentioned one of those things we talked about before. That's something that people do all the time, and, you know, can lead to a lot of mistakes.
1: All right. Well, Will, it's been great having you back on the show. And hopefully in the near future, we can have you on as a guest again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it.
1: All right. That brings the Essential Tennis Podcast, episode number 95, to a close. Thank you very much for joining myself and Will today. And hopefully you found those Topics interesting and, and our conversations helpful. Real quickly, before I wrap things up, I'd just like to do a quick shout-out to a couple of very special people on the Essential Tennis Forums. John in Real Life, Howard, and Royce. All three of those posters, just in the last couple of days, passed 1,000 posts on the Essential Tennis Forums. So I wanted to give all three of you guys a, a shout-out, and all three of you are very important and an intricate part of the community at essential tennis so thank you guys so much for your your passion for the game and for how much time you've spent at essentialtennis.com all right that does it for this week take care everybody and good luck with your tennis